listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. straightforward, right? A lot of praise happening. But what stood out to you? Anybody? What was stood out or was significant? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's reading my notes. <laughs> yep. And those are the four questions we're going to answer this morning. <laughs> yeah. He says it starts with who or starts with where, uh, why, how, and then who. Yeah. Anybody else? What stood out? What was significant? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, just make a racket. Yeah. Loud clashing cymbals, yeah. Spoken like a true 80s rocker. <laughs> loud. Jake was just like loud and clashing. I don't know what else. Uh, yeah, that's true. What else? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, that's right, Gwyneth. Thank you. Yeah, she said, it's telling you how to praise God, that you should praise him. Yeah, and that's my last point of the day too, actually. Yes. All right, now we can just pray and go. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Anybody else? Anything else that was significant? Yeah, but everything that has breath. Yes. Who said that? Yeah. What stood out? Praise the Lord. Yeah, yeah, cool. I, and I love those first two songs, or the two songs that we sang this morning. It's just a proclamation. It's just a demonstration. I, I kind of was thinking, man, I wish I would have preached first, and then we could have sang these songs in response, but it's right there. We've heard the gospel story already this morning. We've already heard about what God has done, and we've looked forward. We have this hope. So let's look at these first, uh, this first verse. We are answering the question of where are we to praise the Lord? Where are we to praise the Lord? We see right here in verse number one, he answers the question for us. It says, praise him, praise God in his sanctuary. And so in view of what the author has here is the tabernacle or the temple. He says, um, praise him in his sanctuary. But Real quick, but where is the sanctuary of God now? Our heart is the temple, heaven. Kind of all over the place, right? Because when Jesus came, it says that Jesus tabernacled among us, right? He tabernacled. He came down and made his home among us. And so now as we worship, it's not just, hey, we got to go to the sanctuary, go to the special place. Jesus says, I'm going to be with you always. And so now we always have the opportunity to worship God through Jesus because of a sacrifice. So he says, um, Worship God in his sanctuary. And then secondly, right there in verse number one, praise him in his mighty heavens. In other words, our voices, our praise join in with the angels. They are there in the heavens. He says, let our voices join with the angels. So to answer the question first, where are we to praise the Lord? First, his glory fills the universe and his praise must do no less. Wherever the presence and glory and holiness of God are, there we are to praise him. 
There is no place, listen friend, there is no place where praise is not welcomed or where it is not deserved. So we don't have to go to a physical place. In fact, to some degree, this church building is unnecessary for us to praise the Lord. You can praise him at your home. You can praise him, yeah, you can praise him here. You can praise him if it's a giant cathedral, if it's a small house church. In first century, they were meeting in the catacombs, which is like the graveyard. They were meeting underground. We can praise him in small churches over in China. You can praise him as you're driving down the road. Wherever you are, if the presence of God is there, which is wherever you are, then we are to praise the Lord, make much of him. Even if you're in prison like Paul and Silas, what do they do? They began praising the Lord. They began singing to him. But secondly, to answer the question, where are we to praise the Lord? Wherever you are, praise the Lord. You're like, man, this, is, this seems real simple. Yeah, it is. It's real simple. Praise the Lord. If, we, if you were to look at John chapter four, and we'll look at this passage in just a moment. Uh, but if you look at John chapter four, we have there Jesus and this woman at the well, this Samaritan woman. As Jesus is there at the well drawing water, there are a variety of things happening. One, the fact that the lady is there in the middle of the day drawing water, uh, what, it, what it's saying is that she was an outcast. And there was already this tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. And then Jesus begins speaking to her, which Jesus according to the culture, shouldn't have done. Now for him, he's like, man, I'm, I'm trumping the culture. Like I'm over culture. This is just y'all's problem. So, uh, and trumping, uh, that, like overcoming the culture, not like Donald trumping the culture. Okay, we good with that? So I saw somebody laugh. So he's, he's saying, man, I'm bigger than the culture. Everybody good with that? All right, we'll keep going. So he says, I'm not worried about that. I'm a man, I am a Jew, and I'm talking to you, a woman and a Samaritan. He says, hey, why don't you go get your husband? And she says, well, I, I'm not even with my husband right now. I've had five before. And he's like, yeah. So already we have, this is a messed up situation. There's a lot of tension there. And notice what Jesus says in John chapter four, verses 23 and 24. And he speaks to her, he says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Worship is not some sort of mythical experience in the midst of reality, everyday life. It's not, hey, let's take a praise break. Let's just praise God right now in the middle of this moment. Let's, let, we're gonna step away from reality for a moment. No, here we see that Jesus says that worship affects every single part of who we are. So where are we to worship? Wherever you are. And here Jesus, his response is not, hey, let me teach you how you should not be an adulterer. Let me teach you about racism. Let me teach you about these socioeconomic strata that we are trying to overcome. No, he says, let me tell you about worship. Because when you're worshiping, that addresses racism. Worship addresses social classes. Worship addresses the culture. There's something deeper that's happening in all of these things. He says, check your heart. Because all of those things flow from an impure heart. But he says, worship in spirit and in truth, and now we can be connected. That's what he's saying. Worship addresses real life issues. Secondly, so where are we to praise the Lord? Everywhere. Secondly, why are we to praise the Lord? Look at verse number two with me. It explains verse number one. Verse two, praise him for what? For his mighty deeds. Secondly, praise him according to his excellent greatness. So first, the psalmist says, praise him for what he has done. And then secondly, praise him for who he is. So it says here, praise him for his 
mighty deeds. Now, what would come to mind for them and also for us as if we keep going from the Old Testament to the New Testament, in the Old Testament, we have this retelling of God's story over and over and over again. So many times we have not just the psalmist, but almost every author of scripture says, remember what God did way back when. And so when we see, remember God, praise God for his mighty deeds, we can think back to creation. We can think back to rescuing the people of Israel out of slavery. We can think back to him redeeming them from the Babylonians. We can think to the Davidic kingdom being made much of. We can think of him sustaining them in the wilderness. We get to the New Testament. We can think of Jesus Christ coming and being born of a virgin, of him performing miracles. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him for going to the cross for us. Praise him for an empty tomb. Praise him for sending the Holy Spirit to us and empowering us. Praise him for what we have today in the church. Praise him. Look at his work all the way back into creation. Praise God. So the author here is looking back. He's saying, praise God for what he's done. Look around. Look at what, look at the mighty deeds that God is doing in your midst. We have so much to praise God for. Don't forget his mighty deeds. Praise him. But then secondly, he says, praise him according to his excellent greatness. This speaks of who God is. And in order for us to praise God, we must know God. So why are we to praise the Lord? First, there is nothing great apart, there's nothing little about God, and there is nothing great apart from him. There is nothing little about God. Every single part of God deserves to be praised. Apart from God, there is nothing great. Praise him for his excellent greatness. When we stop and we consider who he is, and this is theology, the study of God, how much more should it stir our hearts to sing, to praise, to give, to serve, to speak to those in need, to spend time in his word, to pray, to gather together as a community of believers. There is nothing little about God. There is always more to know and to learn about him. There's always a deeper relationship to have with him. We are always to be praising the Lord for who he is. A.W. Tozer said this, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And you've probably heard that quote before. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And the same is true with worship. The same is true with worship. You always worship what is most valuable to you in the moment. You are always worshiping whatever is most valuable to you in the moment whether it be the pursuit of money, whether it be success, it be your family, your identity, your standing in the community, your comfort, your ease, what people think about you, your security, your safety, your eternity, your shame, your guilt, what makes you anxious, Whatever you are consumed with in that moment, whatever is most important to you, you are worshiping that moment to moment to moment. So as the author says, praise the Lord, it's really difficult. He says it over and over. It's simple, but it's not easy. So everything that we do, from looking at the scripture to studying church history, 
to gathering together as a body of believers, to going to work, to, to parenting our kids, to dealing with coworkers, to what you post on social media, whatever it is, is meant to praise God. Every single part of our being is designed and created, and we have the opportunity to worship God in everything that we're doing. Manuel Scott Jr., who is a pastor out in California, he said this. He said, we come to church and shout about the dynamite of God, but then we go home to live firecracker lives. Now, what is in view here is not the volume of our singing, but it's the intentionality and it's the focus of our heart. Now, I'll be honest with you. As soon as we got through with that second song with Cornerstone, I had to put a cough drop in because my throat was pretty much shot at that point. Because those first two songs, I was just like, man, I want to sing this with everything that I am. This is the expression of my soul. And there is something about singing, and we'll see it in verses three through five. There's something about singing. We sing when we're joyful, when something fills us. But we come to church, it's like, man, God is great. And then oftentimes, the greatness of God does little to impact our lives the rest of the week. So worship is not something that we do. It's not this hour and a half that we carve out. It's all of who we are. The question is, what are we worshiping? What is the object of our worship on Tuesday morning at 1030? What is the object of our worship as we talk to our coworker? What's the object of our worship as we are alone and we're able to scroll our phone and look at the things that we want to look at and nobody else is going to know about it? What are we worshiping in those moments? It affects every part of who we are. Secondly, why are we to worship God? We already said there is nothing little about God and there is nothing great apart from him. But secondly, why are we to worship God? God receives the highest praise when those of us who worship his greatness also walk in his greatness. So when our lips, our loves, and our lives declare that God is greater than our problems, our depression, our anxiety, our sickness, our enemies, our desires, our needs, that's when we know that we are worshiping God. He's not saying, hey, get rid of all those things. If you worship me, you're gonna be forgetting about those things. Absolutely not. But he meets us in the place of need of desire. He meets us in that time when we are lonely, when we are longing, when we are wanting, when we feel put out, when we feel missed. He is there with us. We can still praise him because he is worthy. That's why we worship God. Thirdly, the third question, we'll look at verses three through five. How are we to praise the Lord? How are we to praise the Lord? If you notice in these verses, Praise him with trumpet sound, with lute and harp, tambourine and dance, strings and pipes, sounding cymbals, loud clashing cymbals. This list of instruments is representative. It is not exhaustive. So some folks would say, uh, oh man, I mean, for years it was, hey, we can't have drums in church. Okay, well, what about this? Well, that's the Old Testament. I'm like, huh? All right, I don't know what to tell you about that. It doesn't, mention, it doesn't mention guitars, so I guess we can't have guitars. It also doesn't mention electricity, you know? So I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like, we can keep going down this rabbit hole. It also mentions dancing. And while I don't want to see most of you all dance, um, and like, that's what it says. When was the last, last time you danced? Well, I'll tell you something that I do am concerned about. Hey, as soon as we get this figured out, then we can start working on the next thing, all right? So he says, there's a lot of stuff here. Now, it's not exhaustive. And notice it doesn't say anything about words here, but only the accompaniment 
of our words. Here's the purpose for that. The, the author is saying, yeah, yeah, we, we've already spent 149 chapters in the book of Psalms talking about what we can praise God about. We have the rest of the scriptures that we can say, look at what God has done. He is saying here, this is the expression of our souls, music, our feet, our hands, our breath, our eyes, our ears. Everything is the expression of what's happening inside of us. He's saying worship just doesn't happen. So people say, man, I'm just worshiping in my heart. Let me know where the chapter and verse on that is, where you're only worshiping in your hearts. Because whatever's happening in here is naturally, whatever you're consumed with is going to flow out here. So the author is saying, be consumed with the greatness of God. Be consumed with the story of God, who he is and what he has done. Be consumed with that and let it pour over into an expression of his greatness, of his grandeur. Here we see, uh, and St. Augustine said about this passage, uh, he uh, lived several hundred years ago, but he said, no faculty is here omitted. All are enlisted in praising God. Because if you look at the list here, the trumpet sound, it requires your hands, your mouth, your ears, praise him with a lute and a harp, so praise him with a guitar, uh, praise him with a tambourine and dance. And then if you notice, it says uh, sounding cymbals and loud clashing cymbals. The, the sounding cymbals are tiny, like little small cymbals and the loud clashing cymbals. The author is saying, whatever you got, whatever you can use, your voice, whatever it is, praise the Lord, do it all for him. Our worship is for God. It is not primarily for us. So how are we to praise the Lord? First, God is listening to the music. But even more importantly, he's also looking at the heart. So some of you are going to say, well, I thought, preacher, I thought you just said that you, we can't just worship in the heart. No, no. Notice the word just right there. Whatever you're worshiping with your heart is going to be expressed in your actions, with your hands, with your voice, with your breath. Man, I told Shannon last night, uh, my wife, I said, I said, I said, I know this is kind of crazy, but guess what I'm so excited about? She was like, what? I said, football. I cannot wait for the NFL to start back. Anybody here with me? Like, I'm just, I've got like a little over a month left and I'm just like antsy. I'm just, so what do I do? Since my focus and my worship is on football, uh, I, I'm listening to podcasts about football. Don't ask me to join a fantasy you know, league because I will and I'll dominate. Uh, but I don't need anything else to take my distraction and my worship away from God. I love football though. It's begun consuming me and there's still a month left. And at this point, I, I mean, I've, I've wanted to be consumed with it for the past few months. I'm like, no, I can't do it. Only a month, man, I can't wait. I cannot wait. And so guess what? It's going to affect what I listen to. It's going to affect what I speak about. It's going to affect my relationship. It's going to affect what money, what I spend money on, YouTube TV or not. It's going to affect how I live. It's not just happening in here. It, it, it affects all of my life. He's listening to the music, but he's also looking at our hearts. Ephesians chapter five, verse 19, it says, be filled with the spirit. Ephesians 5, 19, there it is. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Where does it begin? In your heart. Where does it overflow to? Your mouth, your singing, your voice, your hands, your actions. All of who we are. Charles Spurgeon said this, he said, if men are dull in the worship of the Lord, they are not acting consistently with the character of their religion. He said that about verse number four. Look at verse four. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. 
Where do we see people singing and dancing? Think about that. Yeah. Sometimes street performers, yeah. Yeah, where else? Yeah. Bands, yeah. Where else? Where else do you see people maybe just breaking out into dance randomly, like unorganized, maybe even disorganized? Weddings, yeah. Home? <laughs> Presley, say more about that. <laughs> because we just watched this beach camp video, and I saw almost everyone in your family dancing, except for your mom. Jesse, come on up here. I'm just kidding. <laughs> when you go to a birthday party, you don't just sit around and sing, hey, let's, let's recite the happy birthday to them. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear fill in the blank. Happy birthday to you. Let's eat a piece of cake. Now, we love you in our hearts, but it just simply has not affected our lips yet. But believe me, you can't see my love for you. You can't feel it. But just believe me. Just, what do we do? We all get together and sing some ridiculous song that everybody knows as if this kid or adult doesn't know it's their birthday, you know? And as if they don't know that you're happy to be there because you're providing them with all this fried sugary goodness. Of course everybody's happy, but what do we do? We still sing and we celebrate, we get done, we clap. It's a joyful moment. And Spurgeon here is saying, if the joy of the Lord is filling you, if you understand what God has done, then you have to be filled with his joy, even in the midst of painful, dark circumstances. Like we just sang about a moment ago, there's still something deeper within us that causes us to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So in Ephesians 5, Paul tells us to examine your heart. Be filled, first of all, with the Spirit. But secondly, here's what we, um, how are we to praise the Lord? God is listening to the heart, but secondly, all that we are and have should be fully offered to the Lord as a sacrifice of praise. If you were to go back and look at Mark chapter 14, you see there Jesus on his way to the cross, and you have Martha and Mary's two sisters, and we have Martha in the kitchen uh, making dinner, and, and Mary comes in, and she begins to pour uh, oil on Jesus' feet, and she uh, takes a bottle of perfume, which costs about a whole year's wage which in today's money, that bottle of perfume would cost eighty, eighty-five thousand dollars $85,000. That's a lot of money. If we were going on averages of household income here in Henry County, she takes that bottle of perfume that costs $80,000 and she begins to pour it on the feet of Jesus in an act of worship. And what do those really religious people who have been with Jesus for years, what do they tell her to do? Stop, stop worshiping Jesus like that. Just think of all the good that we could do with that money. Think of how much better we could use that money. With the perfume, we could sell it. What are you doing? Can I tell you, friend? In this world, and with many church members and church goers, we are okay if you act crazy with a lot of things, from sports to music to cars. Man, I got a new car. Man, I got some new clothes. It's the American flag. Praise God. We're okay if you act crazy when it comes to your family or to your kids, even kids' sports. We're okay with that. But the moment that we begin acting unconventional when it comes to worship, it's like, whoa, whoa, Nelly. I, I don't know if I should lift my hands. 
well, the Bible says to do it. Ah, well, I'll tell you what I'm more concerned about is, uh, you know, this doctrine over here that's gonna make me sound real smart. You know, I'm like, again, let's, let's figure this out. Let's, let's get this settled. We're okay if we act crazy with almost anything except for the presence of God, the greatness and the grandeur of God. But notice how Jesus responds to her in Mark chapter 14. He says this. He says, let her alone. She has done a good work for me. That's how Jesus responds. Let this woman alone. She is worshiping. There's nothing better that she could be doing. And friend, listen, the Lord remembers and he rewards your worship of him. He rewards those who express their devotion to him sacrificially, freely, and extravagantly. The worship of God should affect everything that we are, everything that we have. This includes our time, our singing, our money, our resources, our conversations, our text message, whatever it is. With all of those things, we are worshiping something, and the Lord is worthy of our worship. Bishop Hanley Mool, he said this, I would rather tone down a fanatic than resurrect a corpse. And I wonder, if, as I look around for our church in particular, I'm like, man, which, which one are we? I know which one I am. When I'm around those who don't have the exact precise theology that I do, who are really worshiping God, I'm like, oh, man, well, yeah, but their theology of justification, <laughs> well, they don't understand the Hebrew. Man, when you get to heaven, do you think God's going to care about that? If you do, then um, I apologize. He cares about our hearts. He cares about our worship. Lastly, the last question, right, Greg? Greg handed me these notes. Who is to praise the Lord? That's the last question. Sarah, you married a real gem, you know? I mean, this dude. Who is to praise the Lord? Trying to get you some brownie points, brother. Verse number six, let everything, notice he doesn't say the word everyone, everything. I think the purpose for that here is the, the psalmist is just, he's just proclaiming this. Not, not let everyone, let everything, everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Animals, trees, they kind of breathe, right? People, everything that has breath is going to praise the Lord. Notice here that our mission since Genesis 1 has not changed. In Genesis 1, verse 27, God says to Adam and Eve, he says, be fruitful and multiply. Take the imago day, the way that you were created is to worship me, to be in a relationship with me. Take that and multiply it. Go procreate, have kids, make more worshipers. And here we have, well, if you look back at the Great Commission, Matthew 28, what does Jesus tell his disciples as he's going up into heaven? You're gonna look at the end of Matthew, the end of Mark, the end of Luke, the beginning of Acts. He says, Acts 1.8, he says, go therefore and make disciples. Go continue to make worshipers of me. The command has not changed. And if we look at the end of time, we see in Revelation chapter five and verse 13, this verse, verse six is actually eschatological in nature. It's looking at the end time because at that point, everything is gonna praise the Lord. John wrote this, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, and this is Jesus, and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. That's the purpose 
that we've been created with. God said, fill the world with worshipers. He says, go make disciples, make more worshipers. He says, in the end of time, this is what we're going to be doing. Everything that has breath is going to be praising the Lord. Spurgeon, again, he said this, join all ye living things in the eternal song. Be ye least or greatest, withhold not your praises. What a day will it be when all things and all places unite to glorify the one and only living and true God. So who is to praise the Lord? Two things. One, when we have said all we are able to say for God's praise, we are but to begin anew. As we read the scripture over and over and see the greatness of God and see what he has done, we don't get to the end and be like, all right, right, what am I going to praise now? No, we go back and we recount, here's what God, over dozens of times in the Old Testament, this is what God has done throughout the New Testament. Jesus does this, Paul does this, even Peter. Remember what God has brought you through. Remember his goodness, remember his greatness. You don't need a big house. You don't need a fancy car. You don't need better circumstances. You don't need a better wife or husband. You don't need a wife or husband. You don't need kids or better kids or different kids. You don't need more money. You don't need a better job. You don't need a pay increase. You don't need a perfect song. You don't need a better preacher or better worship leader. You have sufficient reason to praise the Lord. The fact that you are still here this morning, on July 30th, 2023, got it. The fact that you were here this morning, last week in Locust Grove, I completely messed up the date. <laughs> I was like, yeah, June something. I don't know. That's why they disinvited me from ever going back and preaching. But the fact that you still have breath in your lungs this morning means that you have the opportunity and the obligation to praise the Lord. You have breath in your lungs and God is worthy to be praised. The last thing I want you to see is praise him no matter what. Right, Gwyneth? <laughs> this is how we're ending Praise him no matter what. This is what you were made for. Reflect back, think back as you drive, as you go to work, as you're at home. Set your mind, your thoughts, your budget, your calendar, your conversations on who God is and what he has done. About 150 years ago, Fanny Crosby penned these words. You may recognize this old hymn. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. For 10,000 years, we're gonna have 10,000 reasons to praise God. And even then, that 10,000 years is gonna start over again. And we're going to have more and more reason to praise God. This morning, we have a fantastic reason to praise God. And that's because Jesus Christ came and he lived for us on our behalf. He identified with us in death. He died the death that we deserve because none of us are perfect. All of us have sin. All of us have fallen short. Yet Jesus Christ, he died on our behalf. He took the wrath of God that we deserve because of our sin. He took it on himself. He was beaten, bruised. His beard was plucked out. He was hanged on the cross. And the father took all of his anger and wrath and in love dumped it out on Jesus. At that moment, the father and Jesus, there was separation there so that we 
who place our faith in him could be reconciled to God the Father. That friend is reason enough to praise Jesus until he returns. It's reason enough for us to praise him for all of eternity that we can find life and love with him for all time. Jesus Christ, he didn't just die for us, but he was placed in the ground. He was raised back to life three days later by the power of the spirit. He ascended into heaven and right now he is making intercession. He is talking to God the Father on our behalf. That's his job. That's what he gets to do. We get to praise him, to thank him, to make much of him in our lives. So this meal of bread and juice is a reminder to us of that sacrifice. And this is an invitation to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. This is an act of worship. This is for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in him and him alone. Father, we thank you. May our hearts be reminded even now in this moment that you have transformed us from death into life, that we can be conformed into the image of your son. I pray for those in this room who've never placed their hope in you, that they would fall on your mercy this morning, that you would draw them and call them to yourself. We thank you for the sacrifice. We thank you for the resurrection. We celebrate, we make much of, we worship, we praise you, our good God and Father. It's in Christ's name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen.